Live from our nation's capital, it's the Inside Scoop with Mark Levine. Good afternoon, America. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I am your host, Mark Levine, reporting live a safe social distance from Washington, D.C. Another day in Trumplandia. You know, six months from now, what you think about this? Six months from now, if there's a God in heaven, we will have a new president of the United States. Six months from now. You know, I remember when these four years began thinking, oh, my God, it's just it's just never going to end. And then six months in, I thought we have eight times this, seven more times this to go. And then a year it was like three more years to go. Well, my friends, we're three and a half years into this. And sure, hundreds of thousands of Americans are dead, innocent Americans who wouldn't otherwise be dead. Sure, we have. Um, secret police marching in the streets, taking away demonstrators, locking them up in unmarked vans. Um, Of course, we have the president stealing hundreds of millions of dollars openly from the American taxpayers. We have the Supreme Court taking a million Floridians off the voting rolls. We have the president saying he won't accept the results of the election. But hey, we, we still exist. We're still a country. We still think we're gonna be able to vote in only, September, October, about 100 days. We are not dead yet. This republic still stands. And for that, I say one cheer. Can't quite get up to three. Look, in the terror, in the horror, there is some dark comedy. I, I often think how these years will be remembered. And, you know, will history 100 years from now say when America went cray-cray? Will they use that technical term, cray-cray? In watching Donald Trump's interview with Chris Wallace, Fox News' Chris Wallace, although to be fair to Chris Wallace, probably the only independent journalist on Fox News since all the others uh, must tout the party line or they get fired. Um, much like working for the Trump administration, by the way, you tout the party line or you get fired. Um, Chris Wallace is an independent news person, um, and he asked Trump some tough questions, including, hey, why are so many Americans dying of COVID? Why are we going up when every single other nation on the planet has gone way down? Maybe it would have helped to have had a national strategy, for example. Donald Trump blames everything on the fact that we're testing. Uh, In Donald Trump's view, if we didn't test people for the disease, it would go away. And to be fair, it's kind of like the ostrich who, when a lion approaches, puts its head in the sand. If the ostrich puts his head in the sand, he cannot see the lion. And we all know that if you can't see something, it goes away. Um, Now, it's true that most of us at the age of two or so learn object permanence. But we all know that when you play with an infant, nine months, you do peekaboo, right? You, you, you cover your face and the baby thinks you're gone. And then you show it again. But 
unfortunately, our president probably hasn't learned object permanence because he doesn't seem to understand that, um, well, the disease exists even if you don't test for it. Or more likely than that, he actually has learned that two-year-old skill, knows it exists, but simply thinks if we lie about it, you're stupid enough not to realize that it still exists. Well, two-thirds of Americans aren't that stupid. The other third, well, they support Donald Trump. Let's listen as Chris Wallace tries to point out that it ain't just the tests that are causing the rates to go up. California, locking down again. Florida, deadliest day of the entire pandemic. Uh, hospitals at capacity in a number of places around the country. Shortages of testing, shortages of personal protective equipment for nurses and doctors. A lot of people say this is because we don't have a national plan. You talk about states. We don't have a national plan. Do you take responsibility for that? Look, I take responsibility always for everything because it's ultimately my job, too. I have to get everybody in line. Some governors have done well. Some governors have done poorly. They're supposed to have supplies. They didn't have. I supplied everybody. Now we have somewhat of a surge in certain areas and other areas we're doing great. But we have a surge in certain areas. But you don't hear people complaining about ventilators. We've got all the ventilators we can use. We're supplying them to other countries. We go out into parking lots and everything. Everybody gets a test. We find if we did half the testing, with all of that being said, I'm glad we did it. This is the right way to do it. I'm glad we did what we're doing. But we have more tests by far than any country in the world. But, sir, testing is up 37 percent. Well, that's 30, good. I understand. Cases are up 194%. It isn't just the testing has gone up, it's that the virus has spread, the positivity rate has increased. Now, now to be fair, way to go Chris Wallace, right? Uh, he says, sir, testing is up 37%. And Trump says, well, that's good, I understand. But cases are up 194%. So testing's up a third, cases have doubled. <laughs> he kind of catches Donald there. Um, but Donald says it's no big deal. It's like the sniffles. Many the, the of those cases. Than it was. Many of those cases. Oh, you know what this is? I'm watching on YouTube and this is a silly Trump ad. Let's go back. Cases are young people that would heal in a day. They have the sniffles and we put it down as a test. Many of them. Don't forget, I guess it's like 99.7%. People are going to get better. And in many cases, 99.7%. So this is, again, just a number he pulls out of nowhere that has no basis in fact. One of the things that, um, well, the Nazis practiced that uh, I've talked about before, the big lie, Joseph Goebbels, the great uh, Nazi propagandist and Certainly, the Nazis did this far more effectively than Donald Trump, uh, is the practice of the big lie. You tell a lie, you tell so many lies, you tell lies very effectively, and the more you tell them, um, the more people believe them because you flood the zone. You give so many lies that you tell 23 lies. Uh, and then if someone refutes lie one, lie two, lie three, lie four, lie five, then the person who's predisposed to believe the lies thinks, well, you know, I remember lie number 18. They didn't refute that. And then if someone takes the time to refute all 23 lies, then uh, this is boring. This is long, you know, cha change the channel. Why do people have to be so difficult all the time? 
it's a win-win for the liar. And the clear master of this was Trump's mentor's mentor, Joe McCarthy. Now, remember, there's a direct line between Joe McCarthy and Donald Trump. Uh, Joe McCarthy's young lawyer was uh, Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn was Donald Trump's old lawyer. So there's a direct tie. Now, remember who Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin was in the 1950s. We talk about McCarthyism, and a lot of folks don't remember exactly what was going on at that time. Senator Joe McCarthy was a junior senator from Wisconsin. He had no campaign platform to speak of. He was running for re-election, uh, and he couldn't think of what to say to run for re-election. He didn't really have any ideas. Um, and uh, he went out with his staff, and they talked about it, and they decided, okay, we need to deepen the St. Lawrence Seaway because, you know, ships come into Wisconsin and the Great Lakes— that will be our campaign issue, to dredge the St. Lawrence Seaway and have deeper ships be able to port there. They decide that's their issue, and then they do what Joe McCarthy always loved to do. He loved to drink, and he started drinking. By the way, Joe McCarthy ended up dying of cirrhosis of the liver, uh, a disease uh, that's connected to alcoholism. But he, he had a good drink that night, and they started laughing as their conspiracy theories got wilder and wilder and wilder. And at one point, one of his staff said, you know what? <laughs> you know what? We should claim – got to get like the drunken energy there, right? You know what? <laughs> we, we should claim that there's a whole bunch of communists in the United States government. <laughs> have a drink. Have a laugh. Wow. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll, make, we'll make that claim. And then they go back, you know, and they finish the night. They go home. The next day, Joe McCarthy is flying – uh, from Wisconsin to Washington, and in those days, in the early 1950s, you couldn't fly all the way from Wisconsin to Washington. You had to stop and refuel one of those prop planes. And he, while stopping and refueling in West Virginia, Joe McCarthy plays a little joke on his staffer, and he pulls out a laundry list. When I say a laundry list, literally, historians have seen the list, right? It says two pairs of pants, you know, clean the shirts, and he says, "I have here a list." of 47 communists in the United States government. And um, then he puts his list away. And it's, it's really just a joke. It's a laugh for his staff. Well, the laugh catches on. People believe the crazy conspiracy theory. McCarthy never was able to say what was on that laundry list. But that began the era of McCarthyism that is still with us today. I'll explain more when we get back. And now, the voice of reason in an unreasonable world, Mark Levine. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. I guess I never tire of telling the Joe McCarthy story because, um, as I was discussing with my producer, uh, Mark Romaldi, uh, in the break, most people do know something about McCarthyism. They know that there was some senator from Wisconsin that had some crazy made-up ideas of who was communist, a communist and then ruined thousands of lives by making these ridiculous false accusations. Um, but they don't really realize how it began. And I, I think Joe McCarthy is the best comparison to Donald Trump because uh, it did begin as a lark. It began as a re-election ploy. Uh, it began 
Joe McCarthy was a profoundly unserious man, just like Donald Trump. For all the fact that he never cracks a joke and never smiles, it's a profoundly unserious man. Well, I guess he's more serious than Joe McCarthy. Put it this way. He very much wants to succeed. He very much wants people to believe he succeeded when he hasn't. He fails up. In fact, one of the best books uh, on this is Mary Trump's book, which just came out. I admit I have not read the book, but I read a really good book review in Slate that I encourage you to read, and I'll share a lot with you. Mary Trump's book is not perhaps what you think it is. Uh, you may think that it's a book about you know, how Donald Trump uh, is a sociopath and a psychopath and profoundly you know, an idiot who uh, cheats everyone. That's actually not what the book's about. Yeah, he paid someone to take his SATs, and uh, yeah, he um, when his, um, his his dad was dying, he went to a movie. Uh, we get that he's a lifelong liar and cheater, you know, propped up by his father. Uh, okay, that we know. What the book is about is really not about Donald Trump, which is why it's a good book. It's about why people prop him up. Which, when you think about it, is a far more interesting question. It's not under, hard to understand the very limited, fragile psyche of Donald Trump, right? He is a failure. He knows deep down he's a failure, but he wants to believe he's a success. So he tells himself he's a success so much that he actually believes it. Um, that's really easy for folks to understand. I mean, basic narcissistic sociopath, right? Donald Trump is not that interesting. What is interesting, what Mary Trump explores, is the people that prop him up. The people that know he's an idiot, know he doesn't know what he's talking about, know that he's a profound liar, and yet tell those lies in his service. Because when you think about it, the mystery of Donald Trump is not Donald Trump. I mean, if someone can steal billions of dollars at will while lying and having those lies be accepted continues to do that, we get it. He's being rewarded, right? I mean, a black person couldn't do that. A, a, uh, a woman couldn't do that. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's the ultimate in rich white male privilege, right? Um, so we get why Donald Trump, having no foundation in morality, no, no soul, no there there, and being extremely insecure would continue to steal America blind. That's not interesting. What's interesting is why people do it. And I think the people that prop Donald Trump up are very similar to the people that prop dictators up. Think about the people that support Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or Saddam Hussein. They know that their leaders are liars, and they're profoundly afraid of them, right? If you want to get close to Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin, it's a high-risk endeavor. Uh, sure, if you please the boss, uh, your family is likely to get the, the best they can get at these really economically depressed dictatorships. Uh, you will live high on the hog. You will... Um, collect a, uh, you know, a, a ransom and uh, uh, be li live very well if you sacrifice your soul. But you also know, as you get close to these dictators, that there's a really 
high chance you'll be dead, right? Um, would not want to be a relative of Kim Jong-un. You can be his sister, who may very well take power if Kim Jong-un gets sick and dies, or you can be his uncle and be dead. Um, so in Trump's world, it's not quite the same because you're probably not going to die. Uh, although, you know, we all know that <laughs> a couple hundred thousand Americans will be dead because of Donald Trump's incompetence. But it's not so much that Donald Trump wants Americans to die in massive numbers from coronavirus. It's more that he just doesn't care. Uh, and they will. And, you know, he hasn't he doesn't really care about it. But it's not like he wants them to die like a dictator. The real question is, why would someone knowing who he is continue to support him? And as we look through the revolving door of his administration and we look at people who work for him and then leave uh, and then say the things that we all know to be true about him, the question is, why is anyone there in the first place? And the answer is, I forget which um, Republican, I think it was John McCain's uh, campaign manager, who said, everything Donald Trump touches dies. Once you lower yourself to repeat a Donald Trump lie, you're trapped by it yourself. One of the things they teach you both in the mafia and in gangs is they make you go out and do something. Sometimes they make you kill someone because if they make you kill someone and you're guilty of murder, they know they've got you. They can make you do whatever they want lest you be found guilty for that murder. It's basic blackmail. It's frankly what Vladimir Putin does so well in Russia. They even have a name for it in Russian, Kompromat. It's what they're doing to Donald Trump now. It's why Vladimir Putin controls Donald Trump like a puppet. You know, he bugs the Moscow Hotel. By the way, every single American knows that hotel is bugged. And when I say every single American, I mean that when I was 21 years old and I went to the Soviet Union and I went to an American hotel, I fully expected my phone to be bugged. And I don't, you know, I, I, I had I had never been there before. I, I had no secret training. I had no, um, nobody tell me that. I just kind of knew, you know that. If you go to dictatorship, your phone's gonna be bugged. Donald Trump clearly did something in the Moscow Hotel, whether it was something regarding prostitutes or who knows what bodily function, Whatever it is, there's a reason why this Republican, unlike, say, Ronald Reagan, is so nice to Russia. Putin has something on him and can control him. And similarly, Donald Trump has things on all these other people. Once you sacrifice yourself, once you give up your soul, look at the fascinating marriage between uh, Kelly Conway and her husband, George, her husband, George, who helps run the Lincoln Project, trying to take Donald Trump down, a right wing conservative, but an anti Trump right wing conservative. And Kellyanne Conway, who, once she tells a series of lies, is known forevermore as a liar. You can't recover from that. So you either prop up the liar or you expose yourself. Smart people recognize the choice and choose to do the wrong thing. People who perhaps aren't as honest with themselves as they should be, um, they just do what helps them. And helping them is propping up the liar. Mary Trump goes through the book, and we'll go more into it after the break, as she explains exactly how those in Donald Trump's orbit helped him fail up to prevent them from falling down. 
We'll explain more when we come back. Back to the aggressive progressive, Mark Levine. Welcome back to Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. The dumb McCarthyism of Donald Trump. He's someone who is certainly willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of American lives. And I don't mean to suggest that he cares in any way, shape or form about hundreds of thousands of innocent Americans being killed by this virus. We all know he doesn't care about anyone. He doesn't even care enough to kill them. Right. It's not like an Adolf Hitler or, uh, you know, who, who is determined to kill a bunch of people. It's more like the world revolves around Donald and whatever makes Donald happy works. So he doesn't even have the fortitude to be evil. He simply just wants to uh, be protected. Uh, and so he will do awful things, but only because he just doesn't care about anything other than himself, the true narcissist. At least an evil person has, <laughs> has goals. Mary Trump points out in her book, Too Much Is Never Enough, why Donald Trump got to be this way. And again, her, her point is not so much about Donald as the people who propped him up. So reading from this wonderful book review by Dahlia Lithwick in Slate, uh, and I'll just quote from it directly. She writes, as Mary Trump is quick to observe, the sheer stuckness of his enablers means that Donald Trump never ever learns his lesson, unquote. She describes the White House as this institution. Interesting way to describe it. People often talk about how you're isolated in the White House from real people. Donald, Barack Obama famously liked to come out and go to Ben's Chili Bowl, a restaurant in Washington, D.C., because he could be around real people and not be around a bunch of, uh, you know, people telling you how good you are. And by the way, we get this at the lowest levels of government, right? I'm a state delegate. I uh, represent uh, one hundredth of the people of Virginia in the Virginia House of Delegates. And all these lobbyists come up to me and tell me how wonderful I am. Uh, at least I know <laughs> they're just yanking my chain because trying to get what they want. Um, I can think I can tell when a compliment is real and when it's just someone trying to butter me up. But for Donald Trump, buttering it up is the point. And again, and I'm going back to the quote from the, the book review, uh, being cosseted, lied to, defended, and puffed up means that Donald Trump knows that no matter what happens, no matter how much damage he leaves in his wake, he will be okay. He fails up, in other words, because everyone around him, psychologically normal beings all, ends up so enmeshed with his delusions that they must do anything necessary to protect them. Trump's superpower isn't great vision or great leadership, but rather that he is so tiny. Taking him on for transactional purposes may seem like not that big a deal at first, but the moment you put him in your pocket, you become his slave. It is impossible to escape his orbit without having to admit a spectacular failure in moral and strategic judgment, which almost no one can stomach. Donald Trump's emptiness is simply a mirror 
of the emptiness of everyone who propped him up. It's that reflection that becomes unendurable. I, that's one of the best descriptions I've seen in a short piece of writing. Not so much of Donald Trump, but of Trumpism. You look at this man, you say, this man is president of the United States. He has the knowledge of uh, a 12-year-old. Admittedly, some 12-year-olds are smarter. But the general worldview understanding of a 12-year-old. He has the narcissistic sensibility of a three-year-old. And you think, I can control this man. Certainly Vladimir Putin thinks that. Kim Jong-un thinks that. They think, look, even the French leader, uh, Macron, right? I'll hold his hand. He'll think I like him. And France will get what he needs. He's so easy to manipulate that you think you're putting him in your pocket. But the danger of Donald Trump, for those that enable him, is once you get what you want, once you get whatever you want as a country or you get that job or you get to be the secretary of who knows what, even though you know nothing about the who knows what, everybody knows you sold out. It's right there. It's public. You didn't sell out in private. You sold out publicly. And if you express qualms, he'll make you say publicly, right? He'll, he'll tell Deshaun Spicer, you must say a clear lie. Kind of reminds me of the mafia making you kill a man, although, you know, you're not killing a man. But we're going to make you, Sean Spicer, look at, this, look at this map of lack of supporters at the inauguration. And you're going to claim it's the biggest inauguration ever, period. And by doing so, you look so monumentally silly that you only have two options continue to prop up the monumental silliness, continue to prop up the ridiculous conspiracy theories, or retreat, and then you've lost your job and you're a moral failure, right? Once you sell your soul to the devil, you must do the devil's work. Because if you don't do the devil's work, then you don't get the benefit of whatever, the golden banjo, whatever the, the devil gave you, and you've sold your soul. And you have to look in the mirror and realize you are a moral failure. You know you were a liar. As we say in the South, you knew it was a snake when you picked it up. And now it bit you. And you now you have to admit that you picked up a snake that bit you. And face that. And face your family. Face your friends. Face your colleagues. And these are people who obviously are extremely ambitious. And you either have to look in the mirror or... You keep playing the game. You double down. You prop them up even further. Look at the ridiculous conspiracy that Barack Obama wasn't born in Hawaii, despite the fact that, well, there's hospital records and a birth certificate, and it's just a fact. <laughs> now, there are extremely tiny number of inveterate racists in America that actually believe that conspiracy theory was true. But there were a lot of hangers-on, lots of people repeating the lie in order to get the benefit. And Mary Trump's really critical and very intelligent, thoughtful understanding of human psychology. Again, Donald Trump isn't interesting. It's the enablers. Explains why the enablers work. And you can read this in George Orwell's 1984. You can see it with Joe McCarthy. Right, the Republican Party and Joe McCarthy 
wasn't era wasn't so different from the Republican Party today. You could either play along with Joe McCarthy. You could pretend that his list of communists was real. You could get reelected, but spreading the lies. Or you could take the much, much more difficult task of saying, wait a minute, that's not true. Really, it goes back to uh, the, the story of the emperor with no clothes, right? You do know that story. It's critical here. If you don't know the story, it's an old fable. I don't remember whether it was Hans Christian Andersen or uh, maybe Marco Molly can look up where the emperor has no clothes comes from. But but it's a, it's a classic fable, and it goes like this. The emperor is uh, very proud, very proud of himself. No one should be proud to be emperor. You know, generally you're born into the position. It's kind of like being a prince. But he's very proud of himself. He thinks very highly of himself. And so a bunch of scoundrels, the same kinds that might uh, try to trick Donald Trump, tell the emperor that they have they have the best coat ever. It's a brilliant, magical coat that all people of honesty, integrity, and intelligence see these beautiful colors. And if you don't have it, if you don't have the, the intelligence, the integrity, the honesty, the moral decency, you can't see anything at all, this magical coat. And then they hand him nothing. Well, the emperor, not seeing anything, believing the story, thinks, well, he's clearly not worthy enough to see the coat. But he doesn't want to admit that he doesn't see the coat. So he puts on his magical non-existent coat, pays off the scoundrels handsomely, and then goes out to parade around the town. As he describes his magical coat, he describes to everyone in the town, hey, if you are worthy, if you are a, a solid person, if you are good and decent and intelligent and have integrity, you see my beautiful coat. And those of you who don't see anything, well, you're all just uh, lying, scoundrel, morally debased people. Well, everyone sees he has no clothes. And everyone thinks, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't want to admit to my neighbor that uh, I'm not morally good enough. So I'm not going to admit that I don't see this magical coat until the child, unaware of the game, cries out, the emperor has no clothes. And everyone knows the innocent child is innocent enough that the child would see a coat if one existed. And suddenly, the emperor is laid bare, naked for all to see. I think in some ways that's happening right now particularly with secret police in the streets. We'll get back to that right after this. He's a Fulbright scholar, and he speaks French, but he couldn't tell you who won the Super Bowl. It's Mark Levine. He's a Harvard economist and a Yale lawyer. He does not keep up with the Kardashians. He's Mark Levine. Welcome back to Inside Scoop. I am your host, Mark Levine. Of course, I had to run to the Wikipedia to uh, find out the source of the Emperor of uh, New Clothes, and I was right and I was wrong. I was right that it was Hans Christian Andersen, a uh, Danish uh, folk writer, storyteller from the early 1800s, uh, that told the story in the way that we know it. Uh, but uh, what I learned is, and that's actually made me feel better, uh, that it has a much older source, that... Uh, Hans Christian Andersen took it from the Germans, who took it from the Spanish, who took it from the Indians from India, dating all the way back to 1052. 
Uh, he updated it. He made it more about pride and vanity. So I'll still give him some points. But hey, now I, I learned something. I wanted to, I like to learn things. I wanted to share it with you. The point is, is that if you prop up Donald Trump, then um, you you know the emperor has no clothes, but you have to pretend to see the clothes to stay close to the emperor. You have to pretend to believe the lies. And a few of you may actually be ignorant enough to believe the lies, but the lies are so extreme that I have to think the vast, vast majority of people in Trump's orbit know their lies, know they're extreme, and um, just sort of choose to play along, fool other people worse. And that's just sort of their goal. Um, and what's interesting is that as the nation descends closer and closer to, well, fascism, it's these people that were first fooled that are the enablers. If you study the rise of Adolf Hitler, you find that a lot of business people supported him, not because they believed in a lot of his uh, extreme rhetoric. Uh, many of them hated Jews because most people in Germany hated Jews at the time, but most of them didn't support mass murder. But hey, you know, he fought the socialists and he wanted to take money from poor people and give it to rich people and they profited from it. So the German industrialists largely supported Hitler because, well, they didn't want to be tax high. They didn't want workers to have unions. And I think the same is true of a lot of rich people that supported Donald Trump at first, right? You know, Hillary Clinton was going to raise taxes on multimillionaires and multimillionaires, you know, they could have their wealth cut down from $10 million to only nine and a half million. And well, you know, how, how many yachts can you afford with only nine and a half million? So people enable the dunce, the dumb McCarthyist, even as he descends darker and darker and darker. There was a time when stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from the American taxpayer would have been considered a thing. It's barely even noticed now. The story about how Donald Trump tried to use the power of the U.S. government to convince Britain to bring uh, to help his golf tournament, to help his 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 losing golf golf resort in Scotland that's losing a bunch of money, to bring an the, the golf open to him. I don't really know golf, whatever, big golf tournament to make him a lot of money and use his power, actually asked, demanded, the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain ask Britain to do that for him. And the ambassador's deputy said, uh, don't do that. It's completely unethical and illegal. And uh, the ambassador did it anyway. The deputy then um, leaked it because uh, it's illegal and wrong. And then the deputy, of course, was fired because Donald Trump fires anyone who tells the truth in his administration if it is in any way to stop him from being corrupt. That wasn't even a story. In any other administration, that would be the single most corrupt thing they've ever done. Warren G. Harding was known as the most corrupt president of the United States because of the Teapot Dome scandal, because one of his cabinet secretaries was involved in stealing a bunch of money. But the president of the United States? I mean, Warren G. Harding is now the second most corrupt, and he's not even close to Donald Trump. Richard Nixon never would have obstructed justice the way Donald Trump did with Roger Stone, where he said, Roger Stone, don't tell them all the corrupt and criminal acts I've done, and I'll give you a pardon. 
Richard Nixon never even offered that to his people. And we know that because we have the tapes. So now, as secret police go around our nation's cities, beginning in Portland, apparently moving to Chicago and other cities, in unmarked vans, apparently members of the Custom and Border Patrol, uh, maybe Donald Trump doesn't realize that Portland, Oregon is thousands of miles away from the Mexican border. No, I, I, I don't think that's the issue. I don't think we have a lot of illegal immigrants coming across Lake Michigan into Chicago. At least no more than the other part of the country. This isn't about customs and border patrol. This is about having a secret police arresting people without due process without habeas corpus, by the way, habeas corpus, that, you know, that's one of the big ones right there in our constitution, habeas corpus. It's Latin, it means have the body. If you've got my body, if you imprison me, you have to tell me why. You can't just take me without a reason. That's why you can say to a police officer, hey, why are you handcuffing me? And they say, you're under arrest. And you can always say, what for? And they have to tell you. And if they don't, you're set free by our court system. You can't just round people up in America. This is pretty damn basic. The First Amendment gives us a right to freedom of assembly. Now, if you block a street, yeah, they can take you in. If you um, commit violence, sure, they can take you in. But if you're marching around with your Black Lives Matter sign on a public sidewalk, they cannot do that. And what's happening in Portland right now is not the Portland police, not the Oregon police, but the Customs and Border Control, far away from any border, is going into an American city precisely to rough up American protesters. Now, right now, they're only handcuffing them, banging them around a little bit, they want to see if we say boo. Next stop, the SS, right? Hitler had his own goons beat up people, rough up people, extrajudicially, until everyone was afraid. And if everyone was afraid, then no one would speak out, and then they could do it more. This is the beginning, my friends. We have never seen this in America before. We have never seen... The President of the United States had his own set of goons going around roughing people up, trying to stop legitimate protests. We've, we've seen, okay, 1968, Democratic National Convention, the mayor of Chicago was not happy with the protesters. We've seen some banging around of protesters, but not from the President of the United States. Bull Connor, sure, right? Bull Connor, the racist... Uh, uh, mayor, I think, no, police chief of Selma, Alabama. We've seen him beat up some protesters, but we've never seen this from the President of the United States before. We've never seen the President of the United States say, you have no right to speak out against me. And one of the things we could always brag about in America is, hey, okay, we elected an idiot president, but we still have the power to take him out. We still have the freedom to go on air. I have the freedom to complain mightily about the President of the United States. But if I'm brought out in handcuffs, will that stop you from speaking out? That is a slide to fascism. 
the mayor of Portland, Oregon, stood with the protesters. And the mayor of Portland, Oregon, was tear gassed by Donald Trump's secret police. And I say secret because they're not wearing an insignia. They're not saying who they are. They have no badges, right? Police are supposed to have badges. So you could say, Officer Smith, badge number 42783, I'm going to file a complaint against you. They're in unmarked vans. The President of the United States attacked the elected mayor of Oregon. I recognize the F word is a pretty big word. And I'm not talking about the four-letter one. I'm talking about the seven-letter one. Fascism. I know everyone accuses everyone of being a Nazi and everyone of being a fascist. And part of the way, frankly, that fascism succeeds is to magnify everything to DEFCON level one. But secret police roaming around American cities, stopping people for protesting. And what they're doing right now is they're not arresting them. They can't. They just try to question them. And the smart people, and remember this if you're a protester, the smart people say, I'm not waiving my Miranda rights. I'm not telling you anything. I have the right to remain silent. Give me my lawyer. And you can do what I did when uh, I was protesting in front of the Republican National Convention in San Diego in 1996 when they threatened to arrest me. I said, great, because I'm really looking forward to suing you. And I'm going to sue you personally. Once we get rid of qualified immunity, and I'm working on that in Virginia, the best way to combat someone trying to take away your constitutional rights is to say, I'm suing you personally. Because that is still a right we have in America. This is Mark Levine signing off.